Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? So for us, it's like $1,000. Like you can spend up to $1,000 and you don't need to tell me about it. But after $1,000, let, let's, let, just give me a heads up. Just let me know I'm going to do that thing. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about consensual non-monogamy and money specifically budgeting, shared finances, and how to talk about and think about money within your relationships. Knowing, by the way, that we are not financial advisors. (laughs) We're not here to give you financial advice on what to do with your money, where to invest, how to save, any of those things. What we're about to share with you is our own experience, common sense, the work that we've done with clients and really just to urge you to think about money more than anything else. Yeah. No, no tax advice. No tax advice. (laughs) No tax advice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, we want to talk about it because money remains one of the most difficult conversations for people within relationships. It's the cause of many arguments of secrets of breakups. And so why is that the case? Why is money so hard to talk about? How do we need to think about budgeting and finances differently if we're in an open relationship? And then what are some tools and strategies that we can implement right now to make the money talks and non-monogamous budgeting somewhat easier? That is what we're going to explore in our conversation today. But before we do all that, I want to send a belated happy Mother's Day to those who are mothers, to those who have mothers, to those who question if they ever should have been mothers, for those who desire to be mothers, for those who are mothers of pets or plants or nieces or nephews or grandchildren, to those who define themselves as mothers, to those who are working through their complicated relationships with motherhood, (laughs) to all of the above in any way I missed. Happy belated Mother's Day. Happy, happy Mother's Day. In fact, knowing that Mother's Day was last weekend, for a hot second, we considered doing an episode about mothers and motherhood and the relationships in accordance with that. I think you considered doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago as we were doing one of those, like, what are you curious about recently? Conversations between us. And, um, I was at the time and remained to be curious about adoption and alternate family structures and just, you know, being going down those rabbit holes. And, you know, I was like, it's Mother's Day. What a great day to what a great occasion to talk about that stuff. So I like suggested it. And uh, yeah, and I and I put the kibosh on that one. <laughs> you were like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, listen, man, we just did infidelity and religion. And now you want me to talk about my relationship with my mother or my relationship as a mother? Like my, I was like, that's too much. Yeah, It's too heavy. Oh my goodness. We will. We will. But I'm not ready. Yeah. No, I totally hear you. I mean, I think I certainly have talked about this on this podcast that I have a complicated relationship with my mom. Who doesn't? Well, some people don't, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> who are those people? Are, Maybe like, it's like the people who are like, don't, you know, obsess over things in their mind and think through things and can't sleep at night because of their thoughts. I'm like, who, you exist. I know you do, but how? How do you exist in the world? So yeah, totally, folks totally. without complicated relationships with your moms, like you're out there. I know you are. Sure. Right, right in. Tell us about that. Tell us about what yeah, it's like. like? <laughs> what is that like? Not to have a complicated relationship with your mom. I would really, really would love, 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 love yeah. to hear those stories. We hear stories of complication and, and hardship. I would love to hear stories of like, my mom and I were great. We have great yeah. boundaries. We have mm-hmm. open conversations. There's no judgment. Mm-hmm. There's no expectation. There's clarity mm-hmm. of mind. There's understanding of 
generation gaps, all that's in place. We cruise through teas together and, you know, occasional <laughs> walks in the park and, uh, you know, conversations on the phone are delightful. I would love to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah, for real. And similarly, if you are a mother or a parent of, of any kind, and that also feels easy, <laughs> you're cruising through that experience and it doesn't lead you to, you know, weekly bouts of either shame or guilt or doubt or fear or please write in also. I would sure. like to know what that's like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just to illustrate further how difficult of a topic that was for us to explore, instead of that topic, we decided to talk about money. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That felt much less painful. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, yeah, yeah, let's let's just pick an easier topic. Let's just like, let's do something that's easier that we can do. Let's talk about money. That's about money and finances. That's just way easier. That just shows how difficult the other topic is for us. Just putting that out there. That's true. That's truth right there. So, okay. As we delve into the actual topic about money, which is what we are here to talk about, there's something that actually always comes up in my mind when I think about consensual non-monogamy and money is that it feels like non-monogamy is designed for folks who have more resources. Mm-hmm. Come to my mini TED talk. These are my three points. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Number one, I think it is hard to be engaged in or thrive in multiple relationships when all of your time or energy is being spent to putting food on the table, keeping a roof over your head, paying for health insurance. It's a bandwidth issue. It's challenging to explore multiple connections when you have to prioritizing accessing basic needs. The second thing is I think that non-monogamy is because it is a protected class, meaning that you can get fired from your job if the company Mm -hmm. finds out and believes that your relationship construct does not align with the values of the organization. Mm -hmm. And we have named actually multiple times on this show that we can be vocal about our relationship constructs because we are self-employed and we are not at risk of being fired. So certainly if you are dependent on your income from an organization and have fear around your relationship construct, that could be a barrier. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is it's expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, multiple partners, multiple dates, multiple birthdays, multiple homes, it requires money. And it's, first of all, it's not easy to date one person, let alone Mm -hmm. several. And when you are focusing on having money enough to pay that month's rent or to build up your savings account, It just, I don't know. I feel sometimes like you got to have some access to resources to do this thing. You are not wrong. Um, I hear everything that you're saying. And I think all of those things are very, very true. And I think that some of it is shaped by one way of thinking about non-monogamy, right? It's it's kind of thinking about non-monogamy that is about dating a bunch and maybe having a core relationship and like having other relationships that are running in tandem. Maybe it is like somebody who, somebody whose expression of non-monogamy is going on multiple dates all the time and, and that dates being like fancy dates and it's a part of their experience and that's how they choose to, to express mm-hmm. non-monogamy. I think if that's where you're at, sure. I think it can take a lot of resources. At the same time, I have seen um, non-monogamy, something like a polyamory, a thriving po- a thriving polycule, to mm. really raise the economic stability for that group, for that, mm. for that micro-community. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you can have more people, more money, more time, and shared resources all pulling mm. into one place, and you can really have division of labor, So if you also have things like multiple kids in the, you know, in that micro community, child care, child resources, all that kind of stuff. So it it really depends. Like it just goes back to what we say about non-monogamy, which is there isn't one way of being non-monogamous, right? Mm -hmm. You could be in a polyfidelitous structure where not everyone's dating all the time, right? Your expression of affection can be um, non-financial, right? It could just be more about spending time together. So you might not necessarily go on expensive dates, but walks in the park can be your expression of, of connection and and sort of fun quality time spent. I think those are is really worth thinking about. I think it really is about what non-monogamy looks like for you and how you express it and how you live it out. Also, solo poly folks, their finances are pretty much same as a single person's finances, or it can be. Yes, I think the concerns that you're bringing up, and, and it can definitely feel like 
folks with open relationships need a lot of money to go around, but not necessarily. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's fair. I appreciate that. I think I was thinking about it more again from like a bandwidth issue, but mm-hmm. also that could be because I sometimes tend to have a scarcity mindset when it comes mm-hmm. to money, which we're going to talk a little bit about, about some of the barriers are talking through money. And so maybe that's why I see it that way. I'm like, man, if I'm just focusing on trying to, <laughs> trying to pay mm-hmm. the bills, trying to do all the things, like who has the bandwidth for more than that? Unless you have some access to resources. But I, I hear what you're saying. I think that's a really fair point that depending on your relationship configuration and partnership and, and the makeup of the household, that that actually might support financial stability within the home. And also time, right? Because if we do kind of the time is money equation, I think if you are in a supportive multiple relationships, that some of the, the labor can be distributed uh, among more people. So I think sometimes it's hard for two people right? Like a household can be hard for two people. If you have a, a, a willing metamor or, or a third person that you're dating, or even a fourth person that you're dating that is willing to take the kids for the night. So you don't have to pay for childcare. So you can actually go on a date. It can mm-hmm. be a relief. So I think we just have to think about these things in a broader way than just like, th- this is the one way and therefore it takes money. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. That's fair. And that, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because money is hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think, I mean, that's, I think there are three things that when you and I were talking about this conversation and, and exploring what we wanted to share out, there were three questions that came to mind. One is why is money so hard to talk about? Mm-hmm. The other is how do we need to think about budgeting and finances differently if we're going to be in open relationships? And the third is what are some tools and strategies that we can implement to make the talks and the practices a little easier? Mm-hmm. And so I was a bit reflective about that. Like what makes it hard to talk about? It's funny when we talk about this, the thing that always comes up for me is NPR's podcast, Death, Sex and Money which is like the three topics that are really hard to talk about. And that's kind of what they, like, that's the whole premise of the show. Like the the three big things that people don't like talking about. They're like, that's what we're going to focus on. (laughs) Yes, we should. Our next one should be death then. We're just, we're diving into the hard stuff. Let's just do it. I think for me, part of what, there's a few things that make it hard. Number one is I was taught, and I think many of us potentially were, that we don't actually talk about money. Mm Mm-hmm. In places of business, we don't talk about how much we earn to our colleagues. Mm -hmm. Our parents don't tell their children how much they make. I think, by the way, all of this is a strategy from those in power to continue to disenfranchise. Because if we don't, if the people who are making less money don't talk about how much they're making, Mm -hmm. then we don't realize how how much less we are making. Um, Also, it's worth mentioning it's a cultural thing, right? There are cultures mm -hmm. where money is openly talked about. I had the opportunity to to live and work all around the world. And one thing that I can tell you is some places they ask you how much you pay for rent and other places they would never think about how much, you know, ask that question. So I think Mm -hmm. some of this is also um, very cultural. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's fair. And I should root that, right? I am, I am, I've lived in the States. My perspective is very much from kind of my lived experience here. And so my personal experience shares that out. And so, yeah, personally, I think that that's a big piece of it is just not actually having the skill set or the practice to do it. And also it being intentionally wrong. I remember like being a kid and asking my mom at some point how much she earned. And she specifically said, I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. And then I remember like sleuthing around and like trying to find like mm-hmm. her like pay stubs and stuff. And I remember mm-hmm. finding a pay stub and like writing it in my notebook. Like mm-hmm. it said this, but I had no context as to whether or not that was a lot or little because <laughs> everything when you're a kid, but there was just something about her like intentionally being like, no, you can't know that information that, that mm-hmm. made it really challenging for me. I think mm-hmm. part of that potentially is, is around that there is a value attached to earnings that there is fear and shame around money. I think that for those who potentially earn more, that there's a fear that people are going to want more of you because of your money. For those who feel like they're not earning enough, maybe they feel like they're going to be judged that they don't have enough money. And so there is, again, particularly in the States, there is this attachment between value and earnings, right? We ask mm-hmm. we ask someone, we meet them almost right away, like, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. And part of that is a status check. Absolutely. And I think it's also just in the capitalist systems in the world, it is also your worth. Like mm-hmm. how much you earn is directly yes. correlated in, in, you know, in these structures of how much you are worth and yes. also how successful you are. Right. Yes. And if you, you know, like the typical argument around artists, right. 
artists aren't judged by their art, but mm. how much their art sells for, right? Mm. So that's a typical, it's like a very obvious mm-hmm. example of how we value people and productivity yes. and output and what they how they show up in the world. I think yes. that's the other piece of that. Yes. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Forbes just came out recently with their, you know, who earns what list to your point, like there are actual lists of value based on right. Right. Bill and Melinda Gates are separating and the conversation is like, what are they going to do with the money? Who's going to get the money? Where's the money going to go? Right. Yeah. So there is an absolute kind of attachment to value and earnings. And then I think the third thing for me, so if it, A, not practice and talking about it or specifically being told not to talk about it, B, you know, my value feeling like it was associated with my money. And I certainly felt that way at the start of my entrepreneurship journey mm-hmm. and I was making nothing and I mm-hmm. felt like nothing. Sure. And as I started to earn more, I felt better. Yeah. yeah. I think even in our language, right, we, we say things like, mm-hmm. how much is this person worth? Like mm-hmm. literally yeah, we have yes. language for it. Yes. Like you said, in those lists, like the language that is used, how much is this person worth? Or yeah. this person's worth this much money. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And then the third thing as I was brainstorming this out for myself, like, why does this feel so hard? Is that for me, at least it's a fear that the conversation will impact my autonomy. I remember very specifically early on in my marriage with my wife, having a conversation around the seamless bill. And like how much I was spending on ordering in. And I, and my response to that was like, I'm going to deny you access to seamless so that you can't see it. It wasn't like, oh, we should actually come out, come up with like a, you know, takeout bill or an order in bill versus this, like, or expenses. It was, I don't want you to see it because I don't want you to have to limit how much I'm spending on whatever I'm spending. Like, I don't want to be told what to do. And so part of my resistance sometimes to have the conversation is like, oh, if I tell you, or even if I know, and we're going to talk about that in a bit, like knowing what your financial status is, even if I know, or if I talk about it, then that's going to impact the decisions I make or that I'm feel either forced, inclined or have to compromise around. And sometimes I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. I think we think of money as the thing that affords us all the things, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, things that we like, things that we feel that we need, things that we feel we deserve. Mm-hmm. And why would you want to give up that autonomy? So I totally, totally get that. Also, I think uh, the piece that's worth really thinking about is the correlation that we have, again, for those who live in capitalist systems, the correlation that we have between money and safety, right? Mm. So from a very basic level, money equals better healthcare, money equals better food, money equals better education. Like those are all the things that are actually fairly low or money equals decent living situation, right? Mm -hmm. Those are actually some of the things that are very low on the, the hierarchy of needs. If you think about it, some very basic stuff that has a direct impact on how safe we feel. Our sense of safety is then correlated to how we show up in relationships, right? The, the safer we feel about ourselves and the safer we feel overall, the more securely we become attached to others, right? If you mm-hmm. think about the very, very basics of attachment theory, our attachment style is essentially the combination of how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about other people. So if you think about it in a quadrant, Angie Gunn talked about this in a brilliant Curious Fox Presents talk uh, that you can find on Patreon, actually, um, that if you sort of think of that quadrant, that quadrant will then reveal how you show up in certain situations in the way that you attach with your partner, attach to your partner or partners, right? So breaking all that down, how safe you feel will impact on the way how you're showing up in relationships. So given that money equals safety, it also has a direct effect on your relationship dynamics. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, I mean, you reference kind of being a uh, resident of the world. Have you seen a distinction in different places where money wasn't as associated with safety and how that changed the dynamics of a relationship? Sure. So if you look at non-capitalist systems like socialist systems, um, for example, Scandinavia is always like put up there as the height of civilization where they have a socialist system where essentially state has a, a really good safety network for people and they have low to none poverty in the country and people don't necessarily feel they need to earn a lot of money to feel safe because they feel like 
the state will keep them safe. They will give them the basic needs. So they will be taken care of. They don't necessarily feel like earning money is a matter of life or death. Whereas somewhere like the US, it can be, right? It can mm-hmm. literally be, if you have a job or not, and whether you can afford healthcare, it can literally be a matter of life or death. So if you're in a system where you don't have to worry about that stuff, uh, the chances are you don't necessarily correlate money and safety so closely. So what that can look like essentially is that people who don't necessarily looking for safety, financial safety, might not might show up safer in relationships. Therefore, they don't necessarily have as many attachment struggles within the relationship. It, I mean, money is not the only area where these things happen. But essentially, if you are feeling safer overall, you are more likely to show up safer in relationships and therefore have a, sa- have a more of a secure uh, attachment system. So if you actually look at some of the Scandinavian countries, interestingly, um, less people are getting married because they don't need the safety structure that a marriage gives them. They have equal pay for men and women, so they don't necessarily need to be in a, in a couplehood to make up for the difference um, that you might have to do in somewhere like the U.S., in Scandinavia, childcare is taken care of by the state. So the children, if I'm not mistaken, the children are t- everything that a child needs is provided by the state up to the age of seven. So people aren't staying in relationships um, if they don't want to be, so that they can afford the kids, for example. So that people tend to be more freer in the way they choose to be in relationships rather than feel tied into potential financial decisions. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So it, it, it <laughs> and herein lies the problem, right? So money in and of itself as a, as a single person navigating the world can feel complicated depending mm-hmm. on where you live. Then if you enter into partnership, that can feel even more complicated. Then if you have multiple partners or multiple connections, mm-hmm. that can feel even more complicated. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, let's talk about that. How do we need to think about budgeting and financials differently if we are in an open relationship? So we talked about this, right? So regardless of your relationship, before we even get that, I think just having a handle on your finances is just a good practice period right so Mm -hmm. just like get clear about your finances regardless of your relationship or anything like that that totally makes sense to me i mean in the work that i've done with folks around career pivots and career transitions one of the first questions that i always ask is what are your expenses what are your savings goals so that we can get a sense of what is it that you need to make in your next career and job and then certainly we can we can build up from that And I cannot tell you the number of times where people look at me with a blank face and say, I don't know. And I think that that is the resistance to want to look at those numbers because then you're like, God damn, I spent a lot on Seamless or like whatever that looks like, right? Like having a sense, but you're 100% right. Being comfortable looking at your numbers, understanding what your financial status is, understanding what your expenses are, understanding what your financial goals are. It is the know thyself part of everything that we... (laughs) Everything starts there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, like you said, we start with know thyself. This is not exception to that rule. Know thyself, know your finances, get clear. Not fun for a lot of people. It's just something that you got to have to do. Yeah, It's a part of, I think it's a part of self-care. Um, I think it's a part of hashtag adulting. Not all healthcare, not all adulthood is fun. And this is one of those things. Yeah, one of the strategies that I would recommend is doing a money date. So if you can do it on your own, get your favorite takeout, like at this, for this particular activity, do not worry about how much you're spending on food and takeout. I know I'm talking about that, but get your, get the takeout, get the seamless, get the whatever, and then sit down with it. Sit down with those numbers, get comfortable with it. If you're in partnership with one or more folks, schedule a money date, schedule a time where you say, this is the time that we are going to have this conversation. We are going to build this out. I think that because I've been in many of these money day conversations myself, a few things to know in advance. Number one, know yourself and know your partner in terms of triggers, fears, reactions, things like that. Like I know that money can be a difficult topic for me to talk about. And so I want to enter into those conversations with my partner knowing that. Mm-hmm. With myself knowing that, building in some breaks, building in opportunities to de-escalate, building in some hugs if mm-hmm. that's what's required. Mm-hmm. I think in that knowing piece is also recognizing any power dynamics 
there was certainly a period of time in the beginning of my relationship with my wife, we earned relatively similarly in, in the same space. And, and so that conversation felt really different than when I transitioned into owning my own business and was making virtually nothing and had to build that back up. Those conversations felt much more difficult. Not for her. For me, I felt more vulnerable. I felt less valuable. And so those, that made those conversations feel really uncomfortable and really awkward. And, and so knowing those power dynamics and how you enter into that conversation, I think is important. I think preparing the environment, figuring out what kind of tools, what kind of apps you want to use, right? What are the ways, are you using spreadsheets? What are the ways that you need to be looking at the information together on this money date? And then dig into it, right? What are your goals? What are some of the things that you want to talk through? And we can, we can explore some of those things now, but I just setting yourself up, I think is the first step, setting yourself up to be successful in that space. The tip that I give the people that I work with and my clients is with any conversation like this is to set the tone for the conversation. And sometimes the way that I talk about it is what hat are you wearing, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. you're wearing co-CEO hat, right? Sometimes you're wearing a parenthood hat and sometimes you're wearing soulmates hat. I think, you know, whatever you're going to talk about, if you know that it is a, it is a piece of communication, it's a conversation that has some weight and that might have some difficulty for whatever reason, I think it is really worth deciding what hat you're wearing and checking in with that. Right. So if you are having a, you know, if you're showing up for a finances, you know, a money date, it might just be, okay, like a lot of reassurance at the beginning. Then you put on your co-CEO hat, you, you know, tackle it. If you need aftercare afterwards, you then arrange for that. Or if you need breaks and like you take that hat off and you have a cuddle. I think it is, I think it, it just helps the conversation for both parties to be wearing the appropriate hats. And if someone's like, I need to put this hat down, great. I think it's really just having that dialogue and more of a meta dialogue around, okay, how are we feeling? How are we, what is our intention for this? So that, you know, if someone's powering through with their CEO hat and the other person's like, oh, this is too much. You just need to be like, okay, we just need to put that hat down. Maybe we need to like put our soulmates hat and we like hold hands and cuddles for a while. And then we like get back into our CEO positions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I think, you know, th this goes back to what you were saying earlier about depends on the dynamic, depends on the relationship construct. There may be some relationships where someone is in charge of the finances, mm -hmm. someone is in charge of paying the bills and looking at the bank records and the other person's in charge of kind of other home house needs. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then maybe it's just about building trust. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a check-in every once in a while just to say, hey, we're good. <laughs> or like mm -hmm. this one. This month, you know, let's watch out for this or that. Mm -hmm. So maybe potentially depending on how you decide what your roles are within mm -hmm. your relationship as it relates to finances, it may not be as difficult of a conversation. However, that takes a conversation, right? Identifying what your roles are and, and how you each approach finances within the relationship, that at least takes a conversation. Absolutely. I think that it's a bit like, you know, people talk about don't ask, don't tell relationships. It's okay to have a don't ask, don't tell relationship but you need to talk about the don't ask, don't tell part of it to actually agree on it and agree on what that looks like. Then carry on having your don't ask, don't tell. You do actually still have to talk about it, you know, and the same here. It's okay for one person to be a CTO and the other person to be, you know, whatever their, their senior role is. Um, and that mm -hmm. one party kind of brings, maybe comes to this date more of like explaining what's going on and making sure that everyone's on the same page. It's just making sure that all that is clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, same is true if you are on your own, right? So if you're solo poly, if you're dating, you're still going to be looking through your finances. You're going to have that conversation with yourself. You're going to yeah. have that conversation and, and have those hard truths and potentially have those conversation with folks that you are dating, particularly as it relates to dates. And, you know, we'll, we'll dig into some details around the doing of the thing right now. We're just talking about the talking about the thing, which is the first step is getting comfortable in yourself, knowing what it is, having the conversation and then it's the actual like design mm -hmm. of the financial goals and expenses and, and things like that. If you are in a relationship, then it is about aligning those financial goals with each other, right? What, how much do you, do you have plans for a tiny house? 
and your goal is to save up all your money and maybe travel the world? Is it to have big roots and a big home and a big family? And then you need to have the financial uh, structure that supports that living dynamic. So certainly money ties into that, but also figuring out what does sharing of finances mean depending on your relationship construct. So I'll give you an example. I'm in two partnerships and in one, we have a shared pot of money, right? We both earn money. It goes into our joint checking account and savings account. And then we have had a conversation around the hierarchy of spending. So from that pot of money, first our bills get paid for, then a certain amount of money goes into savings. And then like once we go through that list, then we each get money, if you will, for ourselves, like whatever is left over, we can get to spend. Um, and we've gone through a few different configurations of that where we just knew what the joint expenses were and we put that in. And then we get to decide what we're going to do with our money. In my case, I have two relationships. So some of my money goes to paying the expenses in the other household or paying for things for my daughter. And for, for my wife, that may include buying some fancy ass shoes or, <laughs> or saving up money and, and buying some, you know, buying some cool furniture for the, for the backyard. So that's one way that we did it. And then in my other relationship, we don't join all of our money. Instead, we have our own money and, it, and we have identified how much of an expense pot we have. Like how much is the, will it take to run the household? We each contribute that amount and then the rest is, our, is on our own. I think those are great expressions of how you, or I, I should say they're great strategies for how to manage your money in those relationships, right? I think the important thing is that finances are a part of the relationship design. So we talk a lot about relationship by design. And most of the time we're talking about things like love languages and communication. I think uh, the important thing here is that finances, like practical hashtag adulting things, finances being at the top of that list is definitely something that you need to discuss and design into the relationship. And this advice and um, this the strategy that you have with you know within your households um, is definitely one that I recommend to I ever recommended to clients right so it works for people for example if you're in a monopoly situation right where it's not a mismatch right you're in a poly mono situation everyone's happy um, it's not about symmetry it's about synergy uh, one person is going out on dates the other person's like I kind of like you know, having me time and I'm enjoying myself. So that money can be spent on dates, right? And the other person can be like, I'm going to spend my, I'm going to um, save my money and do this thing for myself. So I think if it's, if you have any kind of uh, lack of symmetry, I think it's really important to see how finances will reflect on that, right? Because I think um, you what you're trying to avoid is kind of resentment down the line, right? Just because um, you're going on dates, it's not necessarily a matter of you spending more money because you're going on dates and the other person isn't. So therefore they don't get access to their money or get access to money. So it's it's just about managing those, you know, managing a balance and, and that people feel that there's equality and that doesn't necessarily mean symmetry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because in one relationship, I am not the higher earner. In the other one, I am. Mm-hmm. And so that has its own, you know, power dynamics that we try to, to navigate through in those spaces. But in one case, it is about we are contributing to a home together. The other is we have shared financial goals together. Mm-hmm. And those two things are different. Those two things took, like you said, those conversation and that understanding and that unpacking and and what needed to be communicated. With my wife, there was a conversation like how much does she have to spend or I have to spend before we have a conversation about it, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like $1,000. Like you can spend up to $1,000 and you don't need to tell me about it. But after $1,000, let, let's, let, just give me a heads up. Just let me know I'm going to do that thing. Um, in the case of my wife, when she was with her partner, they did not have a shared home. They just were going on a lot of dates. And her partner shared, uh, her partner's love language was gifts. And so there was very much a time when our money was being spent on my side, on the bills and on groceries and on the mortgage and all those things. And on the other side, it was like Louis Vuitton bags and, mm. you know, and, and dinners out and, and Gucci. And, and I was like, this is all <laughs> like what? And, and to be honest with you, probably equal money was being spent on both sides. Right. Mm. Except ours, we had a life together. And so it was about bills, but that was a conversation that we needed to have. For sure, Absolutely. And, and really, and frankly, I think I came into it a little self-righteous, like, look at this, I'm not getting all the things, and you know, and I think that she was able to, to share out, 
well, is it that you want more gifts? Is that something that you're seeing? Like, what is this jealousy or envy or frustration telling you mm-hmm. that you want more of that? And can we create an dyna- dynamic where neither of us are judging what we're doing with our own money? Mm-hmm. Like if at the end of the day, we have paid the bills, we have done the things and I'm choosing to spend my money on a solo trip or some things for my daughter and she's using the money to spend on buying gifts for her partner, then I got to kind of let go of some of my judgment around that mm-hmm. and, and understand what that judgment was trying to tell me. But that was not easy. And so I, I share that to say that depending on your dynamic, you live with them, you don't live with them, you're dating, you're serious, you're not, you're casual, you're, it's going to, it's going to vary. And mm-hmm. you just got to be open to the dialogue around it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the piece around not judging is the important part, right? I think, you know, this comes up with clients on other topics as well. What's happening outside the relationship really matters if you're not getting your needs met if things aren't getting resolved within the relationship, right? So if you, in in, a fin- in, in terms of finances, so if you are feeling like, you know, you, you're not in, in any under financial burden, you are getting, you know, if gifts are important to you, you are getting your gifts. If they're not suddenly somebody else getting gifts, why is that so important to you if you're not really interested in that, right? It's really about staying focused in, in your relationship with your partner or partners or the people that you're in, in a relationship with immediately and making sure that those needs be met rather than focusing on what they're doing outside if they don't directly impact that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And if it is impacting, like you said, if jealousy is coming up, I think jealousy is a wise teacher. It's telling you like something is important that you're not getting or something is, it's like, oh, I, I didn't even realize I have that need. And because mm-hmm. I, in my head, have decided that it is not available. Like that, that happens so often. So my guess is that you have concluded in your head that Louis Vuitton bags for you as a gift is not available. Right? It's, not, it's something that you've arrived at and you're just like, well, that's, that's kind of not what I want. So it's not available. And then suddenly someone's getting Louis Vuitton bags and you're like, hold on, that's available? Okay, kind of like maybe I have a need for gifts. Yeah, well, actually, and this may be a whole other episode. It was deeper than that because then when she was like, "Do you want me to buy you a two thousand dollars Louis Vuitton bag?" I was like, "No, we should not be spending two thousand dollars on a Louis Vuitton bag." So it was not that I wanted them. I wanted no one to get no Louis one. Vuitton bags, no Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Chanel for anyone. It was more a judgment around how people spend their money. Mm-hmm. And it was really a judgment around my metamores love language. Mm-hmm. And, and it was much less around what I wanted because sure. the thought of, you know, having $2,000 pair of shoes or something did not feel good for me. That's not, right. that wasn't aligned with my goals or my interests. Like that wasn't sure. anything that I was interested in, but then I didn't want her to have it either. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it wasn't that I didn't want her to look cute out in the world. I was just like, no, no, no. Like that money could be spent on other things. And that was something I needed to reconcile for myself. It's a value judgment. And we have value judgments all the time. So I think it's it's just like recognizing that and resolving that is, and, and I think money, it just becomes, it's just even, it's just like a harsher topic, right? Yeah. So there's already shame and stigma and and guilt and, and uh, scarcity and fear wrapped. Like it's such a hot topic. It's only normal that we have value judgments about that for sure. Yeah. And it was when, when the shoe was on the other foot and I was the one spending more in my relationship, that also became uncomfortable because I was now having two conversations. I was having a conversation with my partner about our shared household and what the expenses were there and what I was going to contribute and what she was going to contribute to make that household run. And then because that was over a thousand dollars, I had to go back to my other relationship and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to spend this money here. And this is what I want to do there. And then we had to have a conversation there. Okay. How does that impact our finances? And what does Mm -hmm. that look like? And what is that? So it was just a lot. I listen, if you're in this non-monogamy game, you know already. You know you're gonna have a lot of conversations Conversations. with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is just this is one of those other ones, but getting clear for yourself again on what are my goals, what are my judgments, what are my fears, Mm -hmm. and being open about those things within the midst of those conversations. Mm -hmm. I think we'll we'll help it through. And creative problem solving, right? We'll Mm -hmm. go back to this place also. It's one of the other sort of areas that we we visit a lot 
things that seem so dire is often if, if if a topic comes up and we feel like there's either only one way to solve it or that there's a sense of impending doom and we feel like there's no way we can resolve this the chances are we are now in a triggered state that we are activated and we feel that it is like our survival instinct has been activated and we like we think that we're gonna die when we can approach those subjects, those hard topics with charitable assumptions and approach them with creative problem solving and with a collaborative attitude, we can get to really good solutions. It's just a matter of finding how we can regulate ourselves, you know, be present and think creatively without thinking the world's going to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think part of that is about finding comfortable language, practicing mm-hmm. it for yourself. If you are, if you're solo poly, if you're someone who's dating, if you're not partnered, then the same, some of the same rules apply, right? So defining what your financial goals are and what, what kind of contributions you're willing to make in any of your partnerships or in your, in the, in your dating life. You're, and I think part of that connects to your spending prioritizations. Mm-hmm. For some folks, they're really going to prioritize their connections and spending time on dates and other folks, they're going to do that for school or home and, and, and spending money on dates is not a big deal. And one of the things that you shared out that I, in, in our prep for this conversation was this idea of not assuming. Mm-hmm. Don't assume that the way that you picture spending money mm-hmm. <laughs> and your goals and the way you approach it is going to be the way someone else does. And I think that's actually even more important to do if you're solo poly or if you're dating, because there may not be that practice of having that dialogue. You don't know the other person as well. And so don't assume. Absolutely. One of the examples that we talked through was if you have agreed to go on a date with somebody, it's like, you know, you're, you're just starting to date someone, you're getting to know each other and you're sort of deciding where to go on a date. My rule of thumb is, let's say we're going to a restaurant. Um, if I know the restaurant and I will, you know, most certainly will look into where we're going. If I feel like the average bill, what I imagine the average bill to be, if I feel like I can't afford half of it comfortably, it's not a good day spot for me. Right. I don't assume the other person's going to pick up the bill. Right. They might or they might not. I don't assume that. So when I do decide if I want to go on a date, uh, if I'm going to go date with somebody, I look at where we're going or where we decide, I, you know, participate in the conversation. And if I feel like I'm not going to be able to, you know, the half of that, that bill is going to be like a big impact for me, then I will speak up. You know, I will say, you know, I'll either suggest somewhere else and kind of align with what I can afford without assuming. And, you know, unless they say, if they say something like, oh, you know, you know, I'd love you take you to my favorite restaurant. Uh, it's my treat. And I know that it, either that I'm, I'm not going to be able, able to afford half of that bill um, and I'm not going to be able to reciprocate. I will make sure they know about that, right? I can say something like, Oh, you know, that will be a treat because that's normally out of my budget. Right. So there is there there is ways of talking about this stuff that doesn't have to be scary or sterile or convoluted and difficult. It's actually a very similarly uh, practicing around how to talk about sex, right? It is just, you just have to find your language. It's about practice. It's about having, developing good communication skills, getting very clear about what is it that you're trying to say and what the, what is the tone that you want to stick to. And it just takes practice. And once you sort of negotiate way around some of these conversations, you will become fluent. The more you avoid those conversations, the harder it's going to be to have them down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go back to what you said before about the difference between symmetry and synergy, mm-hmm. because I really think that that is what this is about, mm-hmm. that when we start to figure out, okay, well, you bought that, so then I need to buy this, or mm-hmm. I did this, and so you need to contribute that, that is symmetry. Mm-hmm. And what we're going for here is synergy, which is ensuring that everyone feels good about what's happening. And the only mm-hmm. way to feel good about what's happening is to do that self-inventory mm-hmm. and then to dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is that be, when people are involved in multiple connections, oftentimes money is going to, how we spend is going to shift depending on someone's love language, depending on someone's life circumstances, depending on someone's preferences. So again, someone may want to spend a lot on a date or a gift, and that may not be the way that you show up in the world or vice versa. That spending in core relationships will look different than auxiliary relationships, right? Bills versus dates or gifts. If someone is has children or not, as in the case, as in my case, mm-hmm. some of my money has to go to my daughter 
Mm-hmm. And I've had that conversation with my wife. What a part, what part of our joint finances um, get spent on my daughter and what about my money gets spent on my daughter? She wasn't there at conception. <laughs> she wasn't, she, she may be, you know, a technical stepmother, but she doesn't necessarily have a, a parental role. And so we had to have that conversation. And, and for us, for example, we have a shared grocery bill, right? No one's picking out and saying, well, that snack is hers. So <laughs> Jackie, you have to pay for that for her. Like that's not the case, but I'll pay for after school or summer camp or like spring wardrobe and things like that. So and that feels good for us. That not, and it may not feel good for for another another uh, partnership. And so, find some synergy. Absolutely. I think it's also worth mentioning that finances, the tangling of uh, finances, can also be a way to define a relationship. Right. So let's talk about your traditional good old fashioned marriage without any prenups or anything like that in place that two people get married. Um, they sign a contract and, you know, a, a reductive, but arguably accurate way of looking at a relationship, uh, looking at marriage is a contract, right? Of course you love your partner. You want to spend your life with them. You're, you're making vows. Absolutely. Yes. To all of that. Ultimately you are putting your signature down on a piece of contract, on a contract. And that contract is predominantly financial. If you look at the priorities of that contract in the, in the modern world, it is mostly financial entanglements. And as soon as you do that, a bunch of finances get entangled. Um, the system that are in place, take care of that. All that stuff happens with one signature. Now, if you want to be together with somebody with multiple people and marriage is not an option and you still want that safety network or this kind of, you know, immediate financial entanglement and that's important to you and you want to sort of define your your relationship also with these privileges and 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 the financial entanglements that a traditional marriage has then you need to think about that right you need to think about how you can do that you need to there are ways of doing that again i just want to caveat right here we're not financial folk please mm-hmm. don't listen to our word on how to do this stuff Mm-hmm. There are professionals out there. Um, somebody that we've featured before is Diana Adams and her um, firm can really work with that stuff. And she did a talk again, it'll be on our Patreon if you want to look at it. She did a talk all about legal legality and, and partial finances of how you can do multi-member relationships. That isn't essentially people who want to be together um, that cannot get married, like more than two people essentially. So big caveat, like this is not a financial advice. This is just a suggestion and an invitation to look at your options beyond marriage, right? So there are things you can do like create LLCs. You can make sure that there are names on multiple names on a deed. Uh, There are health proxies that are in place that wills are done, right? That you actually make make a living will and it's updated regularly. So you kind of also have to take your finances, take care of your finances if you are in a, if you're in a polycule that wants to be also financially entangled, right? So you do have to think about that stuff. And unfortunately it's not easy. Uh, but like I said, there are people who can do that. And if, if it's important to you, I really urge you to, figure out how to do that and um, get help around that as well. So realize that money is a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Realize that talking about finances is a thing. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that it's a thing, know that you have to have a conversation about it first with yourself, Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. to know your numbers, get to know your goals, get to know what your comfort level is. And then with whomever you may be sharing finances with or spending money with, and then make some decisions around that thing, right? Make a plan and and know that that is going to be probably really unique to each one of your relationships. Mm-hmm. And then revisit that plan periodically. Know that the goals may change, that numbers may change, that number of relationships may change. Mm-hmm. And so you just make it a practice to have that money date maybe every month, maybe once a quarter. Just have a routine around talking about it because it does make it feel better over time. Mm-hmm. And some for some bonus um, strategy, ninja level approach to this, after your money date, make sure you organize a fun date for the next day so that you don't just have to, you just don't yes. have to like stay there. If, if it's an uncomfortable conversation for you, if it's not yeah. fun, either, you know, take some time off or make sure you have a fun date plan do. Yeah. 
Totally. Yes. As somebody who is in the midst of house renovations and refinancing mortgages and lots and lots of money dates, we recently had the conversation and said, is this it? Like, are we just going to be talking about this all the time? Can we do something else? Um, Yeah. So there you go. There's some hopefully helpful tips to help you navigate through. We are very curious and interested around what you are doing. How are you managing your money? What do your conversations look like? What are some of the struggles that are coming up for you? And if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoyed this conversation, please right now in this moment, like the podcast, click on the stars on whatever podcast app you're using. And because ratings tell the algorithm and the podcast gods that people like this show. And and that matters because we want to change the noise and we want to make sure that as many people have access to this conversation as possible. We hear from you in our sessions and in our DMs that you love the show. In fact, we just found out that there is a meetup discussion group that mm-hmm. meets weekly to talk about the latest episode. That is amazing. <laughs> that is kind of crazy. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. So hello, folks who are doing that. And thank you. And so make sure all the people who did who are in that group, make sure you're liking and following it and subscribing and favoriting and all those things. I'm actually curious to see the discussion after our last episode. Oh, not the last one, the one before that, that was about butt plugs and pickup lines. I was, <laughs> I'm curious about that discussion. Yes. Yes. And and if you want to have that discussion with us, please do. We want to hear from you. Yes. Please tell us what you're interested in. Tell us what podcast moments have felt impactful, what topics you would like us to explore. You can share with us by emailing us or sending us voice memo at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. You can record a question for the show by calling us at 201-870-0063. You can also engage with us and find lovely photos of your podcast hosts on Instagram or Facebook at We Are Curious Foxes. And while you're there, click on the little blue follow button and stay connected with us so you can join in on all the conversation and the fun. And finally, for extra curious bonus points for the extra curious out there, you should join Patreon. Mm-hmm. You should become a supporter of the Curious Fox community because we want to align our money mm-hmm. where our values are. Yes. Mm, you see what I did there? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so you're going to support us by financially supporting this community, but then you get things in return. Mm-hmm. You get podcast extras. You get an opportunity to ask questions in advance to our podcast guests. When we do events, we do exclusive events. For our Patreons, we do Ask Me Anythings, where you can ask Effie Blue anything, and she will respond and answer that. We do that once a month. Plus, we posted some interviews that Effie and I did with each other after the Infidelity episodes. That's going to be posted on Patreon. So if you want to hear some of the behind the scenes from that episode, then you should go onto Patreon and go listen. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, whose work on the show is priceless. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind. And we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.